This is Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm Pastor Dan. I'm joined by my daughter, Bethany, as we are continuing our journey through the uh, C.S. Lewis classic, Mere Christianity. We are presently studying Book 3, Christian Behavior, Chapter 2, The Cardinal Virtues, is our topic today. This is Episode 13. It is recorded on Friday, June seventh, 2019. So, let's get rolling. Cardinal Virtues, what an interesting concept. It certainly doesn't have anything to do with birds, and it doesn't seem to have anything to do with uh, men who wear red and walk around the Vatican. So, Bethany, when we talk about cardinal virtues, what do you suppose that means? Well, I think of, like, the cardinal points on the compass, which means that they're the key ones. They're the ones that all of the other directions are made up of. Yeah, yeah. So, they're pivotal, most important. Yep, yep. In fact, um... My uh, study guide tells me that this chapter was not originally broadcast over the air because of time, but it was added later to the book. Instead of three parts, Lewis divides morality the way older writers did into seven parts, or virtues. Four of them were prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude, mm -hmm. and they're called the cardinal virtues, which four points of a compass kind of makes sense. And then there are the theological virtues, which are charity, hope, and faith. Yeah, and he kind of says that the cardinal ones are ones that pretty much everybody knows and to some extent acknowledges, but the other three are kind of considered theological virtues, and they're more related to Christian faith. Right, right. So... This chapter focuses on the four that everybody's supposed to know. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> well, let's let's dive in here. What is prudence, and why do many Christians today fail to practice it? I think it's hilarious that people fail to practice it, because according to C.S. Lewis, prudence is common sense. <laughs> yeah. And like forethought like thinking about what you're doing maybe before you do it I mean mm -hmm. it's something that I um on my previous position for sixth graders we did we kind of deviated from the norm for character education and we taught um something called life skills which was really um just teaching them things that hopefully would help them as they moved into middle school like refusal skills and things like that but one of the things that we talk about at the very beginning of the school year is decision making mm -hmm. and why it's important to think about something and think about the consequences of doing that thing and then choosing whether to do it mm -hmm. and it's amazing not just sixth graders but so many adults <laughs> Yeah. Do not think about consequences of actions before they do it. And then when they're in a situation, they're like, huh, I wish I had thought about that ahead of time. And I always kind of <laughs> want to smack my head and say, yeah, you could have. <laughs> and and then we all do it. But but yeah, prudence is just like common sense and thinking about things. Well, so in church life, I have often dealt with individuals in church leadership or at least people who have strong opinions about how things should be in church and when they hear the change is being introduced or something different is happening or new uh they suddenly appear and have a lot to say about it and what mm -hmm. i've always said to those people as politely as i know how is think don't react <laughs> you know please just think then your words will make more sense and you'll be taken more seriously. People who just react, you know, I think it's kind of the old knee jerk thing that you hear people say, but, but my, my, you know, when I write my book of wisdom, one of those pieces of wisdom is going to be think, don't react. Well, and you and I have talked about that. Cause I think I would, 
I would differ that just a little by saying it's okay to react internally. Right. And then think about why you're having that knee-jerk reaction. Right. Right. Because there's probably, you know, if it's something like what you're talking about, where it's something that's been a certain way in church and it's changing. Right. And you have that knee-jerk reaction where you're just like, you feel punched in the gut. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. And And you, but you need to stop and think about why you're having that reaction. And if it's something, if, if your reaction is because you feel it's going to be detrimental to the group. Right. Or if it's just hurting you because it's something that mattered to you. Right. One of my favorite restaurants closed and I had a knee jerk reaction because I was very sad. Um, One that is from my childhood. Right. But it doesn't affect the population as a whole. No. So I'm not going to like stage a protest or... But it makes me sad. And so I have a reaction, but I can think and process through that. And I think that's where what you're talking about is so important. Well, so so lately I've been talking with with my staff and friends about, you know, how to process people's responses to some of the decisions we're making. And one of the things I remind people of that I don't know how else to explain it, but I just sort of call it a critical thinking sandwich all right the critical thinking sandwich has two pieces of something with something in the middle you know so a sandwich has two pieces of bread typically and the ingredient uh, of the sandwich on the inside and my critical thinking sandwich says you start with facts deal with the feelings return to the facts because feelings are real and they're not meant to be ignored and yet they are not the driving force behind good decision making prudence demands that we acknowledge our feelings but that we package them or contain them and manage them with facts you know i feel grief i feel sorrow uh, the restaurant you were talking about, I grieved over that one too. But you know, every time I ate there, I thought to myself, how long can they keep going like this? They haven't redecorated in 40 years. That was the best part. You know, the everything about this place said that it's hanging on by a thread. Yeah. And we loved it for that. But we also weren't surprised really that it went out of business because they were probably confronted with health codes and probably had issues with, you know, the air conditioning units or, or, you know, water leaks or something. Who knows? Things that have been neglected for decades Mm -hmm. had finally caught up with them. And there was no capital left other than their operating expense money. So they were breaking even. Mm -hmm. And that meant that when they were confronted with a crisis, they were going to go out of business. So my facts, feelings, facts sandwich says to me, gosh, I'm sorry. I hate that. I grieve the loss of this institution that has always been a favorite of ours. And yet my facts tell me that it was inevitable, Mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, um, it's interesting. Uh, the uh, The author of the um, uh, study guide says that that people, especially Christians, have a tendency to um, feel that as long as you're a good person, you can be foolish because that's sort of a twisted version of being childlike, which is what Jesus <laughs> tells us we're supposed to to be. And yeah. and it's a twisted version because you know, uh, he quotes the Apostle Paul, who says that we're supposed to be as gentle as doves, but as wise as serpents. Yes. How many times have you heard me say that regarding church stuff? Mm-hmm. I've talked about that so many times. We'd be gentle as doves, wise as serpents. You know, that is the Apostle Paul's version of my critical thinking sandwich. And whenever I think about being wise like a serpent, I know this sounds weird, but but whenever I think about being wise like a serpent, I imagine a serpent trying to navigate its way through a room full of rocking chairs. You know what I mean? That's that's a clever serpent. If it can if it can find its way through a room full of rocking chairs and not get squished, it's it's a wise and thoughtful, you know. Mm-hmm. So so we're supposed to have a childlike faith that is nevertheless being operated by a mature adult yeah lewis says child's heart grown-up head yeah um yeah and i different color highlighter guys so i Mm. found this most important he says he wants us to be simple single-minded affectionate and teachable 
as good children are, but he also wants every bit of intelligence we have to be alert at its job and in first-class fighting trim. Mm-hmm. He loves his sailing analogies. <laughs> it's okay, you know. Britain ruled the seas. They... I mean, I was thinking first-class fighting trim like a boxer. Yeah, yeah, but, but... knowing what I know about <laughs> Jack. So, anyway, uh, yeah, prudence. And, and just as an aside, I can't escape the fact that the first two of the cardinal virtues were popular names for women. Uh, and, and even a show that your mother really liked uh, had a main character whose name was Temperance. Mm-hmm. You know, so prudence is, is not uncommon, although they're usually made out to be, you know, prudish, uh, yeah. bookish, uh, teetotaling, you know, in fact, that's where we're going next with this. Well, so when I hear prudence, I think of the Beatles. Yeah. Dear Prudence. Yeah. But uh, actually, I think that prudence is an ideal name for a Proverbs 31 woman. If you wanted to sum up what Proverbs 31 says about the ideal woman, prudence would seem to be an ideal one-word definition of, of that woman. Although, um, when I think of prudence, I think that then the nickname would be Prue, which makes me think of prunes, which I wouldn't want to be named after. Sorry. Uh, Jenny, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> so, temperance. Yeah, let's talk about temperance. Temperance today is equated with teetotalism, but... What did it originally mean? Well, he says that like, or it shouldn't just have to do with drink because it's really excess yeah. in general and steering clear of excess. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm i going to put myself out there because knowing that everything that is put on the internet lasts forever, I'm going to take a chance here. Um, and, and it's more of a risk for me in my head than anywhere else because I've always been, well... I've tried to be prudent in my approach to, uh, I've tried not to go to the extremes as a, as a pastor. I've always tried to say, you know, to try to stay centered and balanced. And, and of course, my extreme friends always find that difficult because they'd rather that I share their extreme point of view about things, whether it's radically conservative or radically liberal. And I definitely lean in the conservative direction because I think by, by my nature, uh, I take a conservative approach to everything. I'm always, you know, cautious uh, to a certain extent, whether we're talking about, you know, how we're going to deal with repairing the roof on the house or whether we're talking about financial matters at the church or whether we're talking about political problems or, or uh, doctrinal uh dogma problems in the popular culture of the church you know so i i'm always pretty pretty conservative but not i don't want to be extreme and i don't ra- i rarely make extreme statements or or seem to be in the extremist camp and and so all that being said when i look at temperance what i think is, is that i have often told people in church that i think that that is the secret to living a modern life with Christ and, and understanding that, um, you know, if you like a cold beer once in a while, I don't think that makes you a bad Christian. If you drink uh, two or three beers on a Saturday afternoon, I don't think that makes you a bad Christian. If you turn into a drunkard who can't live without this stuff, you've lacked temperance and there you've got a problem. So if you like to smoke cigarettes or cigars or something, you know whether that thing is in control of your life or not. And temperance says you're in control. Temperance is a word that suggests that you're at the throttle and that something else isn't throttling you. So so if you like to go to the casino um, and gamble once in a while, um, you know, I don't think casinos in and themselves are inherently evil. Uh, personally, I think it's a foolish way to waste your money because I just know that the casinos have been built for them to win and for them to make money, not you. So, so I don't look at it from a religious standpoint as much as a practical standpoint because I'm conservative. And my conservative nature says, why would anybody blow money at the casino? I mean, you know, but 
I'm really, you know, have often said to people, if you, because they'll ask me, Pastor, do you think I'm going to go to hell because I went to the casino or because I like to go to the casino? And and I always say to them, look, only you know whether that is something you need to do or something you just enjoy doing once in a while. You know, uh, if you have another God before the Lord God, Yahweh, then you have a problem. And so that's kind of my broad view about these things. Obviously, um, pastors and religious leaders have a certain responsibility to be particularly temperate in their behavior in order to not discredit the good Lord by their behavior. And intemperate clergy and intemperate religious leaders have brought a lot of uh, disdain upon the Lord's name. And so that's an important thing. So mm-hmm. moving back to the concept of temperance, then it is it is a word that basically says that pleasure seeking in and of itself is an evil. Utter devotion to pleasure is mm-hmm. right. So what would you add to that? Well, you know, he just gives some really good examples and says like. Um, and examples that I think are pretty timely for us now, because he talks about, like, if a guy makes golf his, the center of his life, or if a woman makes clothes or her dog the center of her life, um, and everything that they're doing revolves around those things, then, then they're on the same level as someone who gets drunk every evening. Mm-hmm. Um, it just... <laughs> might not look like it because you don't fall down in the middle of the road because your dog sure. is your, you know, you're a dogaholic. Right. Yeah. Um, but God sees it all the same way. Yeah. Because, because anything, well, this is, again, I'm oversimplifying it. Uh, I think Jack would probably give me a, 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 a polite rolling of the eyes because of my oversimplification, but I think it really stems from the first law. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Mm-hmm. If you have some other God that owns you, if you, if, if you worship at the altar of another God, you got a problem. And so, yeah, there's people that worship in their fishing boat mm-hmm. because they're worshiping their fishing boat well, and that's, or their fishing. He says like that because temperance has come to mean teetotaling, um, that's done a great injustice because it helps people overlook the fact that they're being intemperate. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't know what the word actually means. Well, yeah. And you can always find someone that you think is far worse than you, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because you can say, you know, I, I'm not intemperate, you know, you ought to see some of the guys I work with, you know, as soon as they get paid on Friday night, they go out and spend it all on booze. You're right. Those people have a problem. But when it comes to your own sense of temperance, you know, if you have a false God, if you have if you're worshiping something other, you know, and and sin is, after all, ultimately a decision or a inward drive to oppose God. Mm -hmm. So god is opposed to certain things and the bible spells that out pretty plainly so obviously god is opposed to you uh neglecting your marriage and your family and your your responsibility to your to your uh uh employer and you know god is opposed to those things and i can show you in scripture how god makes that clear over the course of the bible and there are other things that god seems to be opposed to and and the beautiful thing is, is that God is is not opposed to these things because God's some kind of teetotaler. Mm-hmm. It it's really because God loves you, you know. And and it's hard sometimes for us to remember that upholding God's law or choosing to be temperate for the glory of God is a way of saying I know that God wants what's best for me, and I'm trying to do what God says is best for me, and I'm trying not to do things that God says aren't good for me. I mean, that's an entirely different approach to the Lord and to the law of God, and that obviously is a huge part of the debate that's going on right now in the United Methodist Church. That you know, in one hand, in one way, has been resolved, in another way, it's only cranked up to worse. But it really comes down to one camp that says, I believe that what God says about all things that that 
are matters of temperance is trustworthy and true and we should all try to be temperate in our approach to what god desires and there are others who say you know well god doesn't mean this and god doesn't mean that and and And, yeah go on well i was just thinking i think it's also there are certain kinds of things that we feel it's easier to justify right i'll throw myself under the bus for a second um i read like it's my job Mm -hmm. um like three or four books a week. Right. And I jokingly will say like, well, you know, like when I spend money on books, I'll be like, well, it could be worse. I could be using it for, you know, something that I think of as worse than that, but it could easily get out of hand. And at some time, there are plenty of times in my life where I can think of, how like I'm really stressed out about job hunting or whatever in my life and I'm like I'll just go read for a while and avoid it right um so even things that we think of as really not bad right we can let take over yeah and it can be false worship too um yeah and we're all there yeah like binging Netflix is a big thing sure um which can be totally harmless if it's like a day and you're just like I really don't have anything going on today and you sit and watch but then it can take over. And I have friends that I feel like that's their weekend. Yeah. Like Sundays is their Netflix worship day. Yeah. So I think that that's, that's the importance of temperance is just recognizing any place in your life where there's something that you care about, but maybe you're caring too much about it. So temperance is a word that could be equated to balance. Yeah. That that balance in all things. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is these are supposed to be things that virtually everybody would have in common at some level. And I have to say that I have heard these expressed in different places and times in my life outside of a religious context, you know. So it's out there, you mm-hmm. know. It's... Because every time people's lives get a little chaotic, someone wise, whether it's in literature or movies or TV or whether it's in reality, and they come to see their pastor or something, Mm -hmm. without being the wisest person on earth, I can listen to someone who describes a life that has gotten out of control and say to them, well, it sounds like you need to settle down a little bit. I mean, any counselor can give that piece of advice if they're being presented with chaos. Mm -hmm. Because once you're being presented with counts, uh, with chaos, a counselor could be the person you meet at the bus stop and they could say, gee, it sounds like you got a lot of chaos in your life. You know, so I think that we all do have this sort of instinctive default or this balance point that we all have mm-hmm. that I think that's what Lewis is driving at is that we all recognize that we've been imprudent at times and this is what leads to some of our problems. We've had a lack of temperance at times, and that's what leads to certain problems in our lives. And so we, we do have a sort of reset button in our nature that Lewis is, is addressing here. So, well, all right, let's jump on then. Um, so justice in this particular context isn't necessarily referring to ju- the judicial system, the, the law, the you know, that kind of thing. So what's Lewis driving at when he talks about justice in this case? Well, he says that it really ought to just, like, it ought to be called fairness. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's about honesty and give and take and and keeping your word, um, things like that. Yeah. And that's sort of innate in our, in our nature because, I mean... Uh, we hope so. Well, I'm going to say it is in the fact that, that when you um, when you think back to, to, you know, I remember when you and your brothers and, and sister were all little, you know, when there's five of you at home and you're all grade school age, we're constantly becoming, uh, we're being confronted with your need for justice. I used to joke, if you recall, that I did not come home from work to be Judge Judy. Remember, mm-hmm. I used to say, man, I did not, I, I've worked all day. I'd like to come home, relax, enjoy my family. And the first thing I'm de- forced to deal with is, is court. 
Judge Judy's got to settle all of this, so Judge Dad's going to settle these cases. That's actually very biblical, by the way, and and dads are actually supposed to do that sort of thing. See, we were just you were appealing to your nature. Yeah, you were just a, enabling me to be a good dad. Yeah. Right. You you go with that. But, you started it. But in reality, you know, it means that whenever we feel like we're not being treated fairly, there's an alarm that goes off in our head. Unfortunately... That takes me back to the wrong kind of critical thinking sandwich. In other words, the critical thinking sandwich says that we take facts and we sandwich our feelings within the facts. Unfortunately, the not critical thinking sandwich, the anti-critical thinking sandwich, is feelings, facts, feelings. In other words, people are more uptight about their feelings, more worked up over their feelings, and they only visit the facts as much as necessary to acknowledge them, but then they go back to their feelings, and they want us to make decisions based on feelings. And there's a lot of that in our world. And uh, so when we talk about justice, sure, we all have moments when we feel that we've been treated unfairly, and we want justice. But, boy, if ever there was a time when you needed to get the facts, feelings, facts formula right, it is in the case of justice, um, which is why judges are supposed to be some of the wisest people in the land, because they're supposed to be people who balance the facts and try to, you know, that's why the, the justice emblem is blind. It's supposed to balance facts, not just feelings and yet a judicial system that doesn't also take into account feelings mm -hmm. is not just yeah because too many times criminals can be cleaned up and presented nicely in front of the court and uh you know the victims are gone <laughs> they're not there anymore the, yeah. the person that they murdered is gone and so if they're not allowing the victims, families, and loved ones to speak about the pain and the horrible things that have come as a result of what they, uh, you know, what this person did, then, then the facts would suggest that this is a victim himself sitting in front of you or herself sitting in front of you when, in fact, they're the ones who did the crime. And the facts have lined up to prove that they did so Therefore, justice has to be served in the same prudent way. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So we all have a need for justice, and God recognizes that need for justice. The Bible's full of statements where people cry out to God for justice. And uh, unfortunately, we'll all confront times in our lives when we'll realize that we have been treated unjustly and there's nothing about feelings that it's, it's the fact. You have been done unfairly. And, and it's, it makes you feel so hopeless and powerless when you realize you've been done an injustice mm -hmm. and you can't do anything about it. You, you never feel more helpless than when you want justice and there's nothing you can do. It looks like the bad guy is going to get away with it. It looks like the offender is going to get off with it again. Mm -hmm. And and so it's probably one of the reasons we really love superhero movies these days. Because they always make the bad guy pay in the end. Sooner or later... Uh, oh, shoot. I saw both of those movies and I forgot the big dude's name. The purple dude? No, the one with the chin. Yeah, the purple yeah, yeah. Thanos. Thanos, yeah. Thanos. Thanos, Thanos. Thank you. <laughs> I saw that. Well, I wasn't prepared to talk about superhero movies yeah. this morning. Yeah. I saw the, the Avengers Endgame movie, and, mm -hmm. you know, we all wanted Thanos to get what he deserved. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a brilliant twist. And, of course, we, we all have a covenant to not spoil the yes. movie. And I'm going to honor the covenant, but I think they have a brilliant twist in there because they know how badly everybody wants to see him get justice. Yeah. So they wrote a twist into it that is, was infuriating. Yeah, with, <laughs> and and it's really remarkable. But very realistic. <laughs> yeah, you know, so you know, good on them. But yeah. but it appeals to the cardinal virtue of justice. Mm -hmm. So now we're on to fortitude. What does fortitude include? Well, I really like fortitude. Because it's about courage, but it's not just about, like, courage when you're faced with, you know, a giant villain. It's, like, well, 
this is a word I heard through school counseling, but um, it's also courage in, in terms of stick to itness. Mm-hmm. Stick to itness, which is basically just like you're stuck in a bad place, but you're gonna you stick it out. You don't give up because it's hard and scary. Um, and that's he's. I think he's talking about that kind of courage too. Mm-hmm. Um, for fortitude. And he points out that like courage is not not being scared. Yeah, I I've talked about this one mm-hmm. a lot. I probably haven't used the word fortitude because it's not a common word in my vocabulary, but but when you think of courage, it's it's someone doing something that every instinct in them tells them not to do. Mm-hmm. Um eh, that doesn't exactly stand on its own because that could be evil too, but I mean you know, the person who runs into the burning building, the men who went up the, the yeah. World Trade Center when everybody else was going down. It you wasn't know. that they weren't scared. They were scared and chose yeah. to push through anyway because they were courageous. And there are a lot of things we do in our lives that require courage and people don't acknowledge it, mm-hmm. you know, like because it's not a big profound and public thing. But sometimes it just takes courage to get out of bed in the morning and go to work. Mm-hmm. Because everything in you says, I don't want to go there anymore. I don't enjoy it. I get abused by my employer. Mm. Uh, what I'm doing feels bad to me. I mean, you know, there are people who, who work in difficult situations. And it takes courage to get out of bed and go to work because you know your family needs the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just one example. But, but yeah, fortitude is this character trait that says i'm going to do what i have to do Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's say things that you'd rather not say uh you know i went through a situation not easy for me lately that required fortitude and then it required fortitude to accept that i had done what i thought was best and so it's sort of an ongoing process you're always trying to make the best decisions and then you have to live with the decisions mm-hmm. you made which also is a for a fortitude mm-hmm. so yeah it's so lewis makes three distinctions or makes a distinction between a person doing some virtuous act and a person who is virtuous yeah so what are the three reasons that he gives for why this distinction is so important well the first one that he talks about i wrote I underlined the word vigilanteism. I wrote it and underlined it in the margin <laughs> because that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Um, because he says like, well, you know, we might think that if you're doing the right thing, then like how you did it. Right. Or why you Somehow did the it. end justifies the means. Right. Which is vigilanteism. Right. And there are some great suit. Well, not superheroes, vigilantes, but there are some great characters out there who are vigilantes that are awesome characters that have been written. But at the end of the day, why, at least for me, when I'm watching those shows or reading those comic books about these characters, mm-hmm. I'm still going, yeah, but look at all the stuff they did Yeah, to get to that. Because there's some great characters out there, but they choose to let the, <laughs> the ends justify the means and... Um, doing the wrong things for the right reasons is a common thread. And that just doesn't work according to Lewis because you're, you, you, you're not building those internal virtues by doing those things. And the quality of your character is supposed to be the most important thing. Right. And if you're doing vigilante type things, which like, an average person isn't necessarily going to be a vigilante, but it's those kind of things. Well, those so making poor choices because you think it's going to. So here's an oversimplification again. It's kind of like when you guys were kids and I would say, tell your brother, you're sorry. You can say you're sorry, but if you don't mean it, then mm-hmm. you, you only did the virtuous thing. You didn't actually show virtue. Mm-hmm. Right. Isn't that it in a nutshell? Yeah. Um, people who are really self-interested, 
will sometimes in a relationship begin to recognize that they're losing this person that they think they need in their life, you know? So and it's kind of a theme in the, in love stories and movies and Hallmark shows, that kind of thing where they'll say, um, you know, you, you've objectified me, you've turned me into something that you need. And now that you're feeling threatened with the loss, you're doing something for me that I've told you I need in order to feel more uh, human to you and less objectified, but you're still doing it in the same spirit. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're just saying, okay, I gave you a new kitchen. What do you want? I gave you a new car. What do you want? Mm -hmm. I mean, why aren't you happy? Why aren't you giving me what I want now? Because I've given you what you want. Mm -hmm. And it's because we, when people are really important to us, we especially want virtue, not just action, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, that's, that's like I used to say to well, one or... of your brothers, sometimes there would be this issue of, I see you going through the motions, but I want to see some remorse too. I want to see that you genuinely regret Mm -hmm. what you did, mm -hmm. you know, or it's like, um, here's a visual picture. I guess a visual picture, like a picture has to be visual. Anyway, it's like an apple that looks really, really awesome on the inside, but then you cut it open and it's like rotted. Yeah. So on the outside, you can be doing things that make everybody think you're really great, but if you don't actually have any character development... Take your average politician. <laughs> your average politician has spent millions of dollars building an image, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, the core character of the person is going to inform their decisions, and that's not cool, usually. So right actions don't uh, done for wrong reasons don't build the internal quality of character called virtue. God does not want simple obedience to set the to a set of rules. God wants a specific sort of person. Yeah. You know, to obey is better than sacrifice is exactly what God says in what Samuel. You know, basically he says, look, because Saul was a guy like that. Saul was a guy who was full of himself, who went through the motions of honoring God, but didn't really honor God in his heart. And Samuel says to obey is better than the sacrifice. To obey shows a uh, submission to and respect for the one you're obeying. You're, you're, you know, it shows something about your feelings of, you know, your character value uh, as you interpret your relationship with this other being. So, so to obey is better to sacrifice because sacrifice is easy compared to real submission. You know, uh, people make sacrifices all the time and do it from abundance. So what does that say about their character? Nothing. It says that they give, it says they give because they can afford to give. Yeah. And that doesn't really say anything about your character. What it says is, is that you have extra and you decided to give it to the church or you decided to give it to the Lord at the temple. You know, uh, once they realize that, that sacrificial system was about, you know, maintaining uh, a commitment to giving the best of your best to God, they just started breeding a separate best, you know, mm -hmm. so that they could keep running their business apart from, it's like, okay, if this is what God requires of me, then I'm going to make a system out of meeting God's requirement as though the thing in itself, and honestly, I don't mean any disrespect to Catholics, but having grown up in Catholic church and having a lot of business dealings with Catholics in my history before ministry, I find that an awful lot of people figure that if they go to receive the sacrament every week, that somehow they've paid their dues and they're going to heaven. And yet they live as though none of it means a thing to them. And I know it's not just Catholics because it's in our churches too. It's in United Methodist churches. Wow. It's, there are people who go to church every week, people who put money in the plate every week, but it is something that is done in a superficial way that does nothing to represent the how the Lord is changing their nature. Well, and again, I just because of where I come from in terms of background, I think of kids at school who like perfectly follow this number two that he's talking about where he says that God, you know, wanting simple obedience. There are kids I think about at school who you can get to follow the rules. 
for a while, and they'll really, really, really do a great job of following the rules. Mm-hmm. But there's not been a change of character, and eventually, they're right back where we started. Yeah, I mean, they're and, just waiting you out. Yeah. They're, they're trying to avoid consequences. Well, and they're also really good at following the rules and finding loopholes in the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so there isn't any character change, but they're still following the rules. Right. And there are times where it's really frustrating as the adult in charge trying to figure out how to help this kid because... They haven't technically done anything wrong according to the rules. But their character is in bad shape and we need to do something. Well, um, and so this is about virtue. And and this is, by the way, I think where uh, one of the brilliant uh, things that, that Lewis does in this book is that this is where you begin to see an underlying theme that he's going to start weaving into the story more and more as he goes from here forward. Because this, this theme is, we are eternal beings, therefore there's, there's a certain amount of this that has to do not just with the here and now, but with our eternal existence. Yeah. That virtue is something that goes beyond this life. Mm-hmm. And so it makes the Bible phrases and sayings about how you know, some will, will have more in heaven and some will have less. And that, you know, however, however God meets that out with his perfect justice, the reality is, is that the, the quality of your character carries over toward not only on earth, but into heaven. And so there may be people in heaven because they've done the right things to, to a certain extent who, who don't enjoy as many of the virtues and therefore don't enjoy as many of the benefits that would have come in heaven. Well, and I think I would go simpler than that. Just a little bit of a difference, because to me it seemed like he was saying that it doesn't matter what the external conditions are in heaven. Right. Like, so they could have all of the best things in heaven and still not be happy because they're in... There isn't that internal happiness because they don't have that quality of virtues. Yeah. I think a really good way to interpret Lewis's understanding of this theme, or I'm not saying that right. Lewis has, has written a book that really is devoted to this topic, and it's a really good book. It's a tough read if you're not already familiar with C.S. Lewis and his writing style. Um I'm grasping his draws here. I've read the book. I, um, it's the one with the bus. They, they oh, the great divorce. The great divorce. Thank you. I yeah. just I could the one with the bus. Well, it starts with <laughs> it the bus. It does start with the bus. <laughs> yeah, the great divorce. Read the great divorce, and you'll see how Lewis really describes the transcendency of character. Because mm-hmm. that that's what that book's all about. That, that that book basically is an explanation in his mind. It's a fantasy. He says from the beginning, he says, I'm not proposing to say that I know what heaven's going to be like or anything. He simply says that that if you want to understand what I'm trying to tell you about how virtue and character and stuff like that carry on from this life to the next, that's where he tries to unpack it. Um, this theme is all over his fiction, too. It's... This is a theme that you really see um, in his uh, sci-fi trilogy, you know, which he's not real well known for, but mm-hmm. it's not a bad set of books either. So anyway, the last thing is the scripture does give us a uh, uh, words for these these cardinal virtues. And so the bonus question is, is can you think of the scripture words for uh, the cardinal virtues, you know, so, so what's a scripture word for prudence? Well, if prudence is common sense, then I would say, hmm, well, I would say like proverb. well, that's not a word, but like, I would go to Proverbs. Yeah. So maybe wisdom. Yeah. I mean, you know, Wisdom is a word that's all over the Bible, especially yeah. in the wisdom literature, like Proverbs and and uh, so forth. And then because a lot of the things in Proverbs that they call wisdom really should be common sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, temperance then in scripture is probably heard more clearly when we talk about self-control. Right, because that's balance. Yeah, uh, about the difference between being free and being enslaved, uh, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, justice is a word that you don't see a lot um, in the New Testament, but righteousness is all mm -hmm. over it. And, and uh, righteousness means rightness. Mm -hmm. And justice is all over the Old Testament because the people of Israel are always crying out for justice. Yeah. And God always gives it to them, by the way, <laughs> um, more than they comprehend because he's being just in both the way that he deals with their enemies and the way he deals with them. And so they get justice. And then fortitude is, is probably best understood in scriptural terms as perseverance. Which makes sense because, well, it goes back to my stick to -itedness. Right. Because that's what perseverance is. Yeah. Perspicacity. <laughs> Isn't that a great word? Yes, but I use stick to because kids get that. Well, I understand. <laughs> but And they might not get perspicacity. Imagine a 12-year-old imagine a looking at you and saying... Miss Sinkhorn, I just so admire your perspicacity. You Listen, know, I had a couple that probably would have done that. They were like like Anne of Green Gables or something, right? <laughs> she would have said that. She might have, yeah. Okay, well, we are at the end of this episode. This has been more involved, and that's good because, you know, it's good stuff. What do you think? Do you want to tell us what you think? Just visit the Facebook page uh, and the group, Knowing God with Heart and Mind. We'd be glad to have you in the conversation. You can tell me when you run into me at church. You can write us an email. We'd be glad to hear from you. If you listen listen from far away, then then uh, you know send us an email. You can learn anything you want to know about Shiloh and how to reach out to me and, and to share your thoughts by visiting shilohum.org, that's S-H-I-L-O-H dot org, or U-M dot org, <laughs> shilohum.org. And, uh, and then you can also uh, uh, just come see us, you know. We're down in southwest Indiana. We're about an hour east, uh, northeast of, G of Evansville. We're about an hour uh west northwest of louisville kentucky and uh so come see us we'd be glad to know you and uh, if you listen here in the jasper area every time we see you face to face it's a blessing so come and see us and uh i think unless we have anything else to add bethany uh, well i was going to just say that some folks may have noticed that we're a little bit late this week actually about a week late mm -hmm. um and I was just going to say that with summer, our schedules are a little bit different. We don't have quite um, as regular a schedule as we normally would. True. Um, so we would just, in advance, let you know that we may be a little bit sporadic at times, but we're still going to be here um, doing this. But we would just ask for a, your, a little bit of grace. You know, I appreciate you saying that because some folks probably have noticed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what with various summer obligations and vacation time mm -hmm. and so forth, this could be delayed at, uh, at times. So thank you for that, Bethany. But we're and, still here and we're still doing it. You know, if you're a glutton for punishment, there's always something in the archive you can go back and listen to again, whether it's uh, one of my old sermons or whatever. You know, there are literally years worth of sermons and other things there um that you can listen to and uh i i don't listen i don't fancy myself as any kind of like you know internet sensation or anything i i know that we have a couple of hundred regular listeners and so forth and i'm just blessed that we have those um but like i said if this is a blessing to you it really means a lot to us to know that so if it's, if this helps you you know, I, I'm not there yet, but there have been times in the past. You know, I remember years ago uh, in a town that uh, had a local radio station where I broadcast um, on the radio station every week. And we got a really good deal from the owner of the station, but we couldn't keep it going because people were really, you know, not giving us any feedback. We had no way of knowing whether it was value to them. And, uh, and quite frankly, if they, 
didn't contribute, then we couldn't afford to keep advertising, or, or I mean, uh, playing it on the radio. At least this is free, sort of. Um, we pay for the bandwidth that we use to put this up on the, you know, the air, and the church is absorbing that cost, so that you know, for your sake. But obviously, if this is a value to you and you attend at Shiloh, keep up the good work of the supporting God's work at Shiloh. And uh, if you don't attend, but you want to let us know that this is a value to you, nothing says I value this like putting a little money on the line. So you know, send a check to Shiloh and say thank you. Uh, you can actually give online now to Shiloh, a one-time gift or a regular gift, simply by visiting that same website, shilohum.org, and you'll see electronic giving there. So if you want to, you can say, this is my way of saying thank you for the podcast. And uh, it means the world to us. And I didn't even want to go down that road. <laughs> I just It just popped into my head. No, I think that's good. I think the other thing that that will sound like a shameless plug but it really does help as if you rate and review mm -hmm. on the platform you use so if you use itunes rate and review the podcast on itunes because that really does help us know like that we have an audience yeah yeah exactly um so and and you know share it with friends i mean it, you know you can mm -hmm. say this won't be the most polished one you ever listened to but it's it's interesting we're semi-entertaining. Well, you know, what Bethany and I ultimately are trying for here, and some of you have heard me say this because you've listened a lot, critical thinking. Yeah. It's called knowing God with heart and mind, and that is exactly what we're trying for here. We're trying to get not so much to inform you of things you didn't know, but to engage your mind in a way that gets you thinking critically about your relationship with God about the Bible, that sort of thing. And that's why we naturally gravitated to old Jack. Yep. Because Lewis is brilliant at that. Yep. All right, friends. Well, thank you again for listening. God bless you, and goodbye. Bye. Bye.